This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, exclusively on the Bun 2.0, KBUNFM 104.5. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, Paul Bunyan Country's distributor of Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser. By Northern Surplus, Northern Outdoors in downtown Bemidji. Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty gun safes. And Pine Ridge Service. Well, it's always fun to check in with uh, John Williams, the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager out of the Bemidji office here. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Well, we, uh, we're we done with deer hunting for the year, and uh, you made a bold prediction. We'll, we'll get right to that and, and find out how you did. Well, well, I did mention something about eating crow, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and it looks like this year I'm going to have to do that. But I brought a quote I'd like to just uh, give to you as mm-hmm. a, a thought. This comes from uh, an unknown um, philosopher in the Northwest. Uh, in regards to eating crow, it says this, the significance of the meal is most profound in which uh, it is eating, the company in which it is eating. The meal itself is a lot like coot with any of the better recipes can do to make it taste better. <laughs> it is always best served and best received by those who are connoisseurs of the flavor. <laughs> so, so tell me why you're eating crow. Well, I think when we talked prior to deer season, uh, October probably, latter mm-hmm. part of that, I think that a lot of us were thinking that because we hit 197,000 deer, you know, in the 2017 season, everything pointed to the to the probability that we would break 200,000 in the 2018 season, and we did not do that. Okay. So I can see the birds flocking right now. So, <laughs> so, so where did we end up? We wound up with about 188,000 deer uh, mm-hmm. statewide. That's about a, overall, it's about a 4.5% decrease from last year's or from the previous season from that. And frankly, it has a lot of us scratching our heads as to what exactly happened. I have a sense of what happened in the Northwest. We were down about, I suppose, about 8% overall from the previous year. But uh, it, it does leave us kind of scratching our head. We did see a drop in uh, license sales of 2%, 3%, but that's not enough to account for, you know, the, that much of a, a reduction in deer harvest. So uh, I, I really don't have a, a reason or a thought about it. You know, weather-wise, at least in the northwest, was very good. It was pretty lousy in the rest of the state. A lot of rain, uh, people were soaking wet, and uh, that doesn't necessarily make for the best hunting season when you have that. So, But in our northwest area up here, you know, we have the, the area that runs from basically Bedette down to Glenwood and uh, from the Red River over to Leech Lake. And the the best part of our hunting area in that region is that transition zone where the prairie meets the forest and stuff like that. That's because there's a lot of ag and forest mixed together. It's just perfect habitat from that. And that's the area we saw the the most decline in harvest, the area that was more wooded altogether up by Bidette and the area down by Glenwood, which was more grass, all saw slight increases. Hmm. So I can't explain it and I I don't know. Give me a fork. I'll take, I'll take a hand in the <laughs> Well, have you chatted with hunters who hunted in that area? What were they seeing? Well, some of the areas where we had declines, people just didn't see the number of deer they expected to see. Um, mm-hmm. That's very true. Our buck harvest was down, which is generally an indication of population trend. Um, whether that was actually the case, I, I can't say. If, if you talk to people – in that September, October time frame, driving at night was a real chore. And uh, watching out for the number of deer, you know, we were certainly seeing a lot of deer on the roads, what people were talking about, seeing a lot of deer uh, in general. 
So what exactly happened? It's very difficult to say, Kevin. I really don't have an answer for it. Okay. And I know we've got, uh, I mean, what, well over 90% of the deer, I'm sure, are taken during the rifle season, correct? correct. Yes. Yep. What did you see from the archery trends and the, uh, the muzzleloader trends? Ah, the same thing. Uh, hmm? Well, same thing as the Northwest. You know, those two extremes. So archery uh, was up about 8% and so was muzzleloader, about up about 8%. It was just that just that firearm season that was uh, was down. And largely, I think, again, I can't blame the weather on the northwest part of the state. We had some really choice weather, I mm-hmm. think, for deer hunting, uh, at least uh, the northern part of the region. But the southern part of the state really had some lousy weather for the first weekend. Hard to say. You know, and I've had people saying, don't you say the weather's the problem again, you know. <laughs> so, so I'm very cautious about saying that. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I know you guys go out and you do as uh, population checks as best you can, correct? We do what's called calibration of our, of our deer modeling um, uh, work that we do every year about – we try to survey areas in the in the basically the prairie and transition zone by air about every five to seven years, something like that, and basically helps us calibrate a model that we use to estimate deer populations. Um, that's not done so much in the forest because you can't see deer in the forest with you know right. pine cover and stuff like that. So where we can survey, we, we're doing that. Um, things look good, you know, from from what we uh, basically said. We went more liberal on our hunting regulations in the in year. That was another reason we thought we would probably break that two hundred thousand mark. So again, just between um, all of that stuff, I, like I say, a lot of us are still scratching our heads. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know. I mean, you said it wasn't uh, enough of a decrease, but yeah, the the hunting numbers and even the fishing numbers are things that are concerning people uh, in natural resources na- nationwide, not just here. Absolutely, that is a story of itself. Um, how um, how many of the the states manage their their uh, fishing game populations? You know, through funding and stuff, is often generated. And what's called the North American model, which is basically a fee-based model for hunters and fishermen. And uh, with those going down, um, uh, there's less money, there's less dollars to be able to manage our nation's wildlife and fisheries uh, resources. So where do you go with this? You know, what's mm-hmm. next? So, One of the other things that, of course, we talk about a lot when we, we talk to here is uh, CWD. Yes. What did we find out this year? Well, we found out that it's still a problem, uh, and um, it, it's a con- it's a growing, concerning problem. Uh, if people have been paying attention to the legislative uh, actions that've been down in St. Paul right now, that's a, a topic that they've been talking about uh, as well. It looks like we found. Um, I think if you look from the very beginning when we first uh, started to uh, test for that down in that southwest area and found our first – southeast area and found our first deer, we've had about 38 confirmed positive deer. And when you look at the number of deer we've tested, even this year we tested I think about 7,400 deer or something like that. So um, uh, 21 I think is what we found this year, which is the most we've found in any one particular year. So, so we are finding a few more. Um, and it's a few of them are growing outside of that core area, which is also a concern. Um, so it's a problem that we're very much concerned with, and it has I, – I can't hardly state how important it is in terms of both people who want to recreate using uh, – for deer hunting like that, having the uh, chance to eat the meat. And, and uh, you know, we could see all sorts of things from, you know, people just not hunting anymore to it being something that uh, – you know, some people don't worry about it, you know, and should they? That's a question. It's still un- 
it's still unknown if uh, the disease can cross over and uh, impact us as a, humans to that degree. Uh, we do have a form of uh, this called Crutchfield-Jacobs disease, but um, whether or not CWD can actually cross over uh, to us, it's unknown right now. And that's a problem. It'd be nice to know. Yeah, yeah. There are testing, you know, uh, certainly if you're hunting in that Preston, Chatfield, Rushfield area down in the southeast, you know, that is an area where we are testing for deer. People are required to uh, submit a sample if they're, you know, taking a deer in that. But if you're around that area and you're not in the area that's being tested, you can still have your deer tested. And uh, if they would look on the back of the hunting synopsis, you'll find a number you can call the University of Minnesota and have their deer tested. That's after the fact now. Most people probably had a deer dinner or two, but in the future you might want to think about that. And I know a few people, uh, one even in our region that, that hunts out in Colorado, and um, he won't eat his deer out there unless he knows it's been tested and it is confirmed not to have the disease. More of the great outdoors with Kev Jackson next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by Pine Ridge Service, DS Beverages, Bonded Lock and Key, and Northern Surplus Northern Outdoors. Check us out on KBUNSportsRadio.com. You can click on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Podcast One and or iTunes. We're talking with John Williams. He is the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager. We're talking all things deer today, and unfortunately, one of the things you have to talk about when it comes to deer these days is CWD. One of the things that I'm sure concerns you, like you said, um, I think before we got going, Jeannie might be out of the bottle here, uh, is the fact that it has gone a little bit beyond that core. Still primarily southeastern Minnesota, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. But, but moving a little further. There's one now in Houston County, which is uh, was out of the core area initially. So that, you know, like I say, we have. I mean, you do the math. Thirty-eight out of, uh, or let's just say, uh, let's just say, thirty-eight out of even what we've tested this year, seventy-four hundred. That's still less than one percent, significantly less than one percent. And you look at Wisconsin; they now have areas where up to thirty plus percent of their deer are now positive for this disease, and that's a that's a great concern. You know. Yeah. I do not know if we can get the genie back in the bottle. We're going to do our dead level best to try. You know, yeah. uh, when when it's all said and done, we're not going to be accused of not doing our best. And uh, so we're working in basically two large areas. One is a deer um, testing, sampling, reduction uh, in that area where we're finding it. We're also uh, banning any feeding things that concentrate deer. The whole idea is to eliminate deer to deer transmission of the disease. And we still don't know exactly even how it's transmitted deer to deer. Um, so um, there's a lot to uh, a lot of research we need to be doing yet. And there's really no way of knowing whether a deer walking down the road has it or not. I mean, it has to be a deceased deer to be tested, correct? Yeah, you have to take uh, the lymph nodes or the obex, and that's lethal to, yeah. to do that, you know. So, um, so you're not just going to kill a deer in the southeast just to check. I mean, obviously, that's obviously. not going to work. Well, yeah, and then um, with... With that, you know, we have a picture of a, a, a absolutely gorgeous buck. I mean, beautiful, nice rack on it and everything else. You look at the deer, he looks all healthy, and he tested positive. Yeah. Now, you know, it's chronic wasting, and it's classified as a wasting disease where something gets a uh, uh, the disease, and they basically go down in vigor, down in weight, and they begin to exhibit just stressed and, and diminished uh, 
body functions and stuff like that. But yet, you can still get it and be healthy. You know, on the first end, on the on the first end of this thing. Sure. Just after time, it eventually wears one down. So. Okay. Yeah. Now I know that there has there was a lot of testing up in. That was it, Brainerd area, well, north of Brainerd there, Brainerd? yes, yeah, and the St. Cloud area as well. And, and the reason for that was, well, there were two positive farms that showed up, cervid farms that were down there that tested positive, and and we wanted to test around that area the wild deer to see if there was any uh, slop over that uh, had gotten into the wild deer population. The good news is that uh, all the testing we've done in in both of those areas have turned up negative. That's very good news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it is still contained to southeast Minnesota at this point, but. The spread is what's starting to concern people. It's it's branching out a little bit. Well, we're 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 finding more deer than we did the last, and yeah. and you know, let's keep it in context. We're still talking right now. I think it's a total of thirty eight out of uh, from twenty sixteen. Yeah. So we're not talking about a huge number, but like any other thing, it can spread. And uh, what we've seen is a little bit more than what we saw last year, and that's concerning. And it's. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We, it's it's one of the worst news stories I can think of right now for us. For cer- certainly, certainly. Yeah. Well, you know, and and again, I. It isn't exactly the same thing, but you know, you you fight and you battle on the fishing side to to try to prevent AIS spreading, and uh, it just seems like once it's there, it's it's really hard to stop it at a certain boundary. It, and so that's that's your that's your dilemma right now. That's your dilemma. You know, zebra mussels in Lake Bemidji right yeah. now. What a disaster. You know, mm-hmm. wonderful, beautiful lake right in the middle of our town here. And, and uh, we now have to be very cautious about how we enter and exit the lake and uh, make sure that we're, we're clean uh, as we leave and, and keep ourselves clean as we go to other places. So it's okay. a big deal. One of the other things going on right now, as anybody who lives up here knows, weather has been lousy this winter. And we've got a ton of snow out there. Uh, not record numbers, but plenty of snow uh, how does that affect the deer population in these winter months? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, the uh, you can go on the DNR website and, and check out if you type in WSI for Winter Severity Index. You'll see a few maps that have been uh, made, basically trying to track that. There's even a, a snow depth map, you know, look that uh, you can look at for skiing and stuff like that mm-hmm. to give you a sense of it. So uh, yesterday, I asked all of our work areas from, like I say, the uh, the basically Canadian border all the way down to Glenwood and from the uh, Red River all the way over to Leech Lake, what was your snow depth? And it ranged anywhere from 16 to 24 inches from that standpoint. We consider anything over 15 uh, inches sort of in that area where deer are beginning to have to exert a little more energy to get around. And, of course, the more deeper it gets, the more energy they have to expend. So we come up with an index that's called Winter Severity Index where a point is given for every day the snow can be measured over 15 inches and any time that the uh, temperature drops below zero in a 24-hour period. So last week we were getting double double digits a day, you know, for all that time. And we're still going to get double uh, at least single digits for snow for a long time. Of the two elements, the snow and the temperature, it's the snow that really uh, impacts deer a lot because not only are they uh, having a hard time just moving around, it also restricts their ability to go get food in just general areas like that. And deer will yard <coughs> in areas um, as sort of a survival technique where they can <coughs> excuse me, sure. Where they walk in, you know, trails, which makes it easier for them to get around. But it concentrates the deer, and it also impacts the food supply in that particular area too. Okay, um, what's the worst we've ever seen? Nineteen ninety-five, nineteen ninety-six. 
is, I think, the worst that I can remember. Um, <clears throat> that winter started in November of that year and didn't end until, oh gosh, basically the end of April for the most part. We had uh, some flooding that year, but not, not nearly like the year that followed, the 96-97 winter. But we had, we had deep snow to begin with, and we had very cold temperatures that lasted for quite a while. And so what was the end result? So during the spring of that year, after the, the hard weather was over, oh, I should maybe back up. Even during that, those hardest days in January and, and February, we were out checking deer in particular. Uh, if we found um, a deer that was deceased on the road or something like that, we could basically look at um, uh, fat in the bones, whether it was present or not. And uh, you can crack the femur in particular. And, it, you know, a healthy deer is going to have a white, waxy uh, type of thing. And we were finding deer that had no, no fat in its bones. There were no body fat left at all. And deer were very stressed. We were actually finding deer that were dying directly from that. The spring uh, also showed us uh, situations where fawns were being born. And, and they, wouldn't, they were either stillborn or else they were... Um, uh, so weak that they, they just couldn't survive. The doe didn't have enough um, nutrients herself to be able to feed them and stuff. That was the worst year that I can think of. Our WSI values during that year probably exceeded well over 200. And, uh, you know, as far as values go, um, anything a winter that winds up less than 100 is basically a mild winter. From about 100 to 180 is moderate, moderately severe, and anything over 180 is very severe. And uh, like I say, we were well over 200 in, in some of the cases up there in particular. That was also, if you might remember, the year that we had fed deer that year. And, and uh, we had quite a distribution uh, in the northwest part of that. So that was the toughest year I can remember, Kevin. And, and uh, the, uh, a more recent year that, that was of concern is 2014. And there were a few places in 2014 that hit over 200 as well. I don't know that we necessarily had as much loss uh, for that. That particular year was one that we thought the, the winter was going to be over with in mid-March, and it wound up lasting another month. Okay. So that, that was tough. Okay. And this year, where, where are we at right now? From what I can tell, I talked to some of our staff yesterday. Uh, the Norris Camp area, the Red Lake, had about 63 for a point value on, on winter severity. Uh, Rosa River, uh, about 50. And, of course, as you go south, it's a little less because of less, uh, uh, less snow amounts that, that came on early and then temperatures as well. The general rule of thumb is about this time of year, mid-February, if you're at 100 or more, you can expect that you could be in a boat for a, a severe winter. So right now, we're not seeing any of that. Even some of the higher values in the Arrowhead area are probably still in the, the 70s. So I okay. think, you know, we had a pretty mild winter up to about January when things started getting tough. And that gives, you know, any good day is another day you don't have to worry about and get you further uh, down the road to spring. I know that uh, my wife, she watches the deer family in our neighborhood quite a bit. She said, they're moving slower. Yes, yeah. <laughs> as I imagine they are. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, this is this is kind of tough. Two feet of snow right now out in the general thing. That's that's significant enough. I did ask uh, if folks were seeing yarding behavior, and most most of the areas we talked to yesterday had not seen the classic yarding area, but they were certainly getting to the point where they were 
gathering around food sources and and uh, following each other in trails and stuff like that. So we're probably on the front end of that. Uh, it'd be nice if we had a little bit of break. Uh, but I think from hearing the weather report today, we've got a few more days of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately we do. Um, I want to go back just to um, uh, the types of hunting. Have we seen an increase at all in, in the number of archers and muzzleloader hunters in the last few years or not? You know, I can't comment directly on that. I can't say that I've looked at how many licenses were sold or something like that. We did see a bump in archery hunting back in the early 90s when uh, the state basically became more liberal. You know, at, at that time, originally, you could buy a, a firearm license or an archery license, you know, and could you, could you shoot two deer with one? Well, no, it was one deer with either, whatever the case was. Things have changed. Things have gotten much more liberal, and I think uh, – uh, certainly with a lot of the interest in archery right now, uh, we saw a big bump up in that. I don't know if that trend has continued, but it certainly is a uh, very popular sport. Muzzleloaders in particular took off in the early 90s with the ability to uh, uh, take a deer with one of those. They were originally uh, in the very early 90s you're restricted to a very limited area where you could actually muzzleloader hunt, have another season beyond that. And, of course, if you chose muzzleloading, you couldn't hunt during the firearm season. Yeah. All that's changed now too. And muzzleloaders themselves, the uh, the gun itself has completely changed. Uh, I very much am a fan of um, old-style black powder hunting. You know, I uh, the most modern thing I have is a percussion cap on my thing. And now people have inline muzzle loaders with, with 209 primers that virtually go off every time you pull a trigger. Uh, the old ones, you know, you had to, you know, um, test the wind, hold your mouth just right, and hope it went off when you pulled the trigger, you know. <laughs> uh, things have changed a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it's still a very popular sport and affords, uh, you know, an extension to the deer farm season with that particular man. Well, because I, I, I've heard more and more people talking about yeah, it. You know? yeah. So it's all anecdotal for me. I don't have any mm-hmm. evidence either, but I, I've heard more, more and more people talk about both, but mainly muzzleloader lately. Yeah. And, and, and I think while I'm concerned, and I know as we've talked many times with many people in, in, in uh, the field we talked earlier about, it, there is a concern about the n- overall numbers of people participating in outdoor mm-hmm. sports. It seems like those that have discovered it are really – Wanting to have more experiences or getting more into it, right? Right. Uh, I've noticed that, and so you know, both archery and muzzleloader have have a certain other advantage. You know, firearm season, you know, is basically for us a week or two weeks of a very intense people being out in the field, a lot of hunters. Uh, you sometimes get hunter interference or you know these type of things. Archery and muzzleloader is not so much. You know, yeah. it's a very uh, uh, archery. You can you can still basically use your skills to try to get on the uh, uh, to hunt a deer. Um, uh, firearm hunting the same way, but yet you can also just sit in the stand if you know a good spot and you're you're good to go. So it really depends a lot about, uh, I think, uh, in terms of being closer to the land. Both of those, both of those uh, do that. And I say that from my own experience. And some people look at me and say, "Well, gee whiz, you really don't hunt where you hunt, right? You just climb in your stand and wait." And mm-hmm. for the most part, that's true. Yeah. Uh, other people, on the other hand, uh, you know, really like to put the effort into scouting and finding sign and stuff like that and, and uh, uh, honing their skills to deer hunting. What I like about – what I think I would like about archery hunting because I have not done it obviously. But what I would like, obviously, it's, 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 a, li- it's a nicer time to be in the woods. Mm-hmm. It's a prettier time. It's a warmer time. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, to me, I, I think that would be real, a real positive to it. Truly. And, you know, uh, there's more to shooting a bull than there is a, a rifle. I, mm-hmm. I mean – 
uh, you got to practice with a bow. Uh, rifle, you know, you can pretty much put a scope on things and, and be good after a few shots, I think. But the skill level is uh, definitely more challenging with both with both rifle and or muzzleloader and uh, a bow. Well, we've run out of time for today, but we're not done with John Williams. He's the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager. We want to talk elk hunting as well, and turkey hunting's coming soon. We'll tackle those topics with John next week. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Hear it exclusively on KBUN-FM 104.5, Thursdays at 1240 and Saturday mornings at 8.